This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Please visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you'd like to contact me for any reason, then please click on that contact icon on the website. You can listen to the show by going to our website and click on the archives link at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes, where you can download all episodes to date. Please leave a comment on iTunes and rate five stars if you enjoy the show and to show your support. That would be greatly appreciated. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash Australian Hunting Podcast. You can also follow our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash AH Podcast. And also, if you enjoy watching videos, then please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com forward slash Aussie Feral Control. Alternatively, you can find all the social media links on the website. If you want to be part of the Australian Hunting Podcast, then please leave us a voicemail by clicking on the voicemail icon on the right-hand side of the website. This gives you an opportunity to be part of the show, and we will play your voicemail message on our next Straight Shooting Podcast. Donations are always graciously accepted, and you can click on the Donate button on the website. I appreciate all people who listen and donate to the show. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people into hunting, shooting and fishing as you possibly can. My name is Jason Selms and without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Daniel Young, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Really appreciate your time in uh, joining us and all my listeners that will be listening to this show. Yeah, not a problem. Great to be here. Now, mate, t- I want to find out who is Daniel Young. Tell us a bit about you know, your history You know, for people sort of who don't know who you are. Yes, yeah, so I suppose I've come onto the, the um, public hunting scene pretty quickly uh, and not a lot of people know who I am outside of the circles that I uh, really um, get amongst. Um, I grew up in Romsey. That's, uh, I was born in Sunbury, grew up in Romsey. Uh, have lived there all my life until just recently. I'm um, in between houses while I'm trying to build in Lancefield. So definitely uh, love the area and, and I'm staying in that area. Uh, I have a fiancé now uh, with a little girl. Uh, we've got little girl Sophie. She was born only last year, so she's a one-year-old now. Um, love being out in the country and so that's why we decided to, to stay out where we are and, and live in Lancefield. Yep. Um, but yeah, that, that's where I grew up in the Mastodon Ranges and and um, love being out there. Uh, work-wise, I, I uh, applied to the Air Force when I was 18 and um, finished school and, and had a crack at that. That was something I really wanted to do, but was unsuccessful because of a hearing problem. Um, so I probably don't need to give you three guesses to, to f- figure out why I've got a hearing problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, that sort of shut that down for a little bit and I went and did an apprenticeship after that. Uh, working for my uncle, he uh, put me onto another company that he knew that, that did um, sheet metal, 
um, basic, it was real basic stuff like uh, lockers and, and school lockers and filing cabinets and things like that. But sheet metal was one of my uh, one of my interests, considering I did a lot of work with cars and bits and pieces. That's another hobby of mine. So uh, took that up and um, did an apprenticeship in sheet metal fabrication. Moved on to another company. We did heavy construction stuff. Uh, Brunton Engineering is the name of the company. They do some really really interesting work. I worked there for quite a few years. Um, we did everything from uh, structural buildings and factories to building bridges. We we actually built the uh, bridge over the Broken River at Shepparton, a rail bridge. Right. Okay. Um, that was one of the, one of the more interesting projects I worked on. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm, I'm, my working life is, has been as a welder, uh, physical manual labour, 12 hours a day, slugging it out pretty hard. <laughs> uh, and, and did that did that for years and years. Uh, loved what I did. I, I really enjoyed working in construction. Um, I have a fairly mechanical mind and, and love being able to, to tackle things on a on a physical level. And you know you have a problem and you try and stop and work it all out and and, and then get in there with your hands and fix it. Um, mm. So yeah, it, it was a great job and I really really loved doing it. Mate, how did you get into like how did you? get into hunting i mean how did you have you been hunting since you you were a kid were you your family hunters how did you actually get into you know wanting to get out in the bush was it a thing that people just did in those rural areas or how did you get into it yeah look it's something that um i pretty much got passed down through my dad and his father before him and his father before him um my my old man's been a, a, a insane duck and quail shooter all his life that's that's what he loves doing and as soon as i was old enough to start going out with him i was screaming to do so so I probably I think I went to my first duck opening when I was six years old. Um, it, it was great. We shot a few uh, swamps up around Kerrang in those years for for a little while. Probably until I was twelve, we were shooting swamps around Kerrang on the openings. Um, so I started doing it as soon as I was twelve. I, I was keen as to start shooting. So I got my license as soon as I turned twelve, and and have been shooting ever since. Um, but it's something that, that's been in my family for for generations. Um, mm. I actually still have my great grandfather's shotgun. It's a Skimmingham Woods side-by-side 12-gauge that's been handed down to me, and, and he used to use that uh, shooting quail semi-professionally and selling them to restaurants in Melbourne. So wow. it's definitely been passed down through my family, and, and uh, I'm keen to see it continue. Mm, ah, fantastic. What, what about um, brothers, sisters, mum? Do they do they sort of get into the hunting or not really? Or Yeah, the girls don't really. I, I, me mum doesn't really do it. She's had a few shot, pot shots every now and then when we're up the bush and, and having a crack. Um, I have a sister and two brothers, um, the girls, no, that's not really their thing. And one brother, even he, he doesn't really do it. Uh, I've got a younger brother though, who's uh, I think eight years younger than me, um, roughly. So there's a bit of an age gap between us, but he's just insane. Um, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's uh, constantly, constantly at it, and, and uh, he loves it too. So now, now that he's a bit older, he's 19 now, and, and um, he, he gets around and, and got his own car, and, and we can do things together. Um, yeah. It's a little bit easier, so that's great. I love getting out there with him. Yeah, in the rural towns that that you know, obviously you frequent, uh, being in the Shooters and Fishers party, but even just growing up, I mean, I noticed just a couple of weeks ago, which we had a chat just before we went on air about hunting in rural towns. It just seems like common practice. No one really worries. Do you think there's a huge disparity between you know people from the city and people in rural areas that you know don't really know about hunting? The ones from the city, uh, do you find there's a huge difference? Yeah, no, it absolutely is a massive difference. Um, for people who live outside the city, it's it's just a, a part of everyday life. Um, and for a lot of people, it's a lifestyle hunting in itself. Uh, for me, it's a lifestyle. It's it's how I choose to spend my life and the activities that I like doing. Um, something that 
that we find comes up all the time, and especially seeing, since getting into this job, I spend a lot more time in the city, is that people just have no knowledge of it. They, they have never done it, never partaken. They don't even know other people do it. And when you start talking to them, they're, they're just gobsmacked that there's people out there that go shooting and, and they don't understand it. Um, so I think a lot, a lot of the problems we have is the fear of, of what we do uh, stems from no knowledge of it and, and just uh, being ignorant to, to how it's done. Um, I worked as, you know, as a construction worker, blue-collar worker. Um, most people didn't know me for more than about 30 seconds before they knew I was a shooter. I love talking about it. Uh, whereas Jeff, uh, my, my other colleague from the Shooters and Fishers Party, he's a white-collar worker. He worked in IT. Um, and, and it's a very, very different sort of scene. He, he worked in the city. Um, and we, we've had this conversation quite a bit where we compare the two. Uh, he never told anyone he was a shooter because it was almost taboo. And, and there's, there's this fear of even losing his job because of it. Um, people look down on that. And, and I find that's really, um, it really shows that difference of, of people out in rural areas and, and regional places, that they, they are around it, they, they do it, um, and they're familiar with it. So that, that's actually part of what we do, is just try and familiarise everyone with what we do and make sure that it's, it's not something that's just for, for those yokels out in the bush. Um, it's something everyone can, can be a part of and enjoy. Yeah, I agree. I, I something happened a couple of about probably about a month ago. I, I run some ads on my show for awesome people that sponsor this show, and um, it was quite of interesting because of hunting background. I I did a few voiceovers through a company that I'd been using for a while, so I decided to go to a new company to get some you know different fresh you know fresh voices for voiceovers that I do on the show, and um, I got my first person actually Daniel that um, wrote back to me and said their their views and beliefs were not in line with mine and actually refused my work. <laughs> we we got to do a bit of a bit of a heated de- not heated but a bit of a debate backwards and forwards, and you know I found out they didn't really like guns, and I said well you probably don't really know what you're talking about because the things they'd said previously to the on, in the conversation indicated you know they really didn't know what they were talking about didn't really know about the laws but I guess we're just listening to the media so that's that was my sort of first you know th- thing that happened to me where it's sort of you know shooting you know was had gone against me you know yeah but it's pretty ridiculous that people can have that kind of opinion these days you know we, we have uh, one particular um, aspect of politics these days, which is all about equality and acceptance. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't apply to us in most cases. And it's usually by the same people that sprout equality and acceptance are the same people who don't think that we're equal for the, the sports and activities that we try and do um, and have got no, um, no, no inclination to accept us. Uh, and it's a really, it's a really sad thing. Um, I, I think that the shooting community needs to do a lot more work in engaging with those people and, and making sure that they know that we're just normal... Um, guys and girls that, that like shooting. Mm. Another quite interesting thing too, I was talking about, you said you had a fiancé. I mean, what does she think about it? I did have a conversation with a friend yesterday, and this has actually happened to me actually quite a number of times, Daniel. I'm not mm-hmm. sure of yourself being in a rural area. Mm-hmm. Uh, me being obviously in the western suburbs of Sydney, um, women especially, I find mainly women, but again, I've actually have a, had a few conversations with female hunters where... You know, guys haven't really been, you know, the guy or the girl has found out, you know, the said person is a hunter or a shooter. And, 
you know, completely just disregarded them. Um, that's ha- actually happened to me as recently as last week. I was talking to someone. We were getting on really well. We were sort of plan- planning on going on a date. And as soon as I brought out the hunting and the shooting, mate, that was it. It was, it was um, over before it even started. So what's your, what, what does your fiancé think about your hunting and just that you know, conversation in general about not being accepted, you know, from, you know, when people sort of in the, in the dating community, you might say? Yeah, look, it's actually a funny story with my fiancé because she was a vegetarian when I met her. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was um, something really <laughs> odd to me when she said she was a vegetarian. I thought, wow, that, that's interesting. And, and obviously there's a lot of conversation after that about why. Um, and, and a lot of it was about, you know, cruelty to animals and, and blah, 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 yada, yada, the, the usual stuff. Um, and then when it all came out, she, she, we actually knew each other pro- previously, so she knew I was a shooter. Um, but when we started talking about shooting, and, and especially me talking about hunting, um, I try everything I can to promote hunting in the most ethical way. Uh, and every time I go out hunting, I practice it. Um, I don't generally shoot anything if I'm not going to use it, except for maybe a scummy fox. Um, but if, if I go out and shoot 10 ducks, I make sure I pick up 10 ducks, and I take every single one of them back, and I pluck them and I eat them. Um, I'm not about to waste them. Um, and, and also, you know, there's the cruelty aspect. There's, there's certainly um, uh, shooters have to endeavour to make sure that their, their kills are clean and quick and painless. And uh, if, if all that sort of thing is portrayed, that we are doing the right thing, then most of those fears and, and the hatred of, of what we do is alleviated. Um, again, back to my fiance, she, she was a vegetarian um, when, I, when I met her, and now she's not. She, she uh, chews down on a steak every now and then, um, which I think is great. Um, but there's definitely that, um, you, you're right, amongst women there, there is a lot more of a, um, a disconnect with, with hunting um, and, and you get a lot more of those opinions come out. Mm, I just find that interesting because, and again, that's not to definitely not to uh, you know patronise our female. We've had female hunters on this show. Uh, mm, they're, mm. they're a fantastic uh, people to be part of the community. They offer a lot. Absolutely, I just I feel kind of feel sorry for the female ones because every time I go on, you, you'd be aware of you know the coalition against duck shooting, Laurie Levy. I go on those Facebook pages. I go on the Animal Liberation Victoria pages, and I just scroll through the comments, Daniel, and then it's you know female, female, female. Male. Maybe a male, three more females, a male, mm-hmm. ten more female comments. I, mean, I always wonder why it's the females in particular that have such an adverse reaction to hunting where uh, like, i got friends that aren't hunters and they're male and they're just like, eh, whatever, it doesn't really bother them. It's just an interesting philosophy. I sort of don't know why that happens. Yeah, look, I think it goes back down to that familiarity thing. Um, blokes generally get out and do those kind of activities, whereas mm. uh, girls don't, don't sort of branch out into it on, on their own especially. Um, but there are some women doing some great things in the hunting community these days. There is, um, yeah. and more power to them. That they're doing, they're doing a great job. They're all getting together. They all know each other, um, and it's a, it's quite a cool little community to to uh, watch. But you know that that's a part of of going back to the city versus rural disconnect. Um, it's the same thing, I think, is just that um, that familiarity and and not being around it and not being a part of it. Um, it, it makes you draw back from it. So the more we include women. Um, and children in in the sports that we do, the more will be accepted and the less of that we'll see, I think. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. The women do offer a lot and they're a fantastic uh, uh, commodity to the shooting industry. Mate, what is Daniel Young? What does he like? Does he hunt, shoot and fish? And if so, what sort of species and what does he like to hunt? What do I like to hunt? Well, primarily I'm a shotgun shooter. 
Um, I, I've shot. Oh, I, I learned with a shotgun. I've never really got into rifle shooting much when I was a kid. I always loved the shotty. Um, so really, ducks and quail are my go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ducks probably would be my number one. I, I love me duck shooting, um, but it's hard to beat when you get onto a good paddock of quail and you walk through and they're just going everywhere. That is that is one of the most exciting bits of shooting you'll get. Mm. Um, but that's that's mainly where I focus my hunting. Um, I do a little bit of deer, bit of deer hunting on the side, um, mostly for meat. I'm not a I'm not a, uh, a big deer hunter. I don't don't chase them often, um, but I don't mind it. And if there's a few bunnies around, I don't mind a good night spotlighting. Um, fishing as well. Uh, I, my family's got really close ties with uh, with Taraya Bay. Originally, dad's side of the family's from Lara, um, so we, we we've been going down to the bay and fishing off of there for years and years and years as long as I can remember. Uh, remember when I was a little kid, we had a a, a timber clinker with a Blackland putt-butt motor in it and, and down, moored down at the uh, Avalon boat ramp there. And uh, we used to go down there and jump in it and pull start it with a leather belt wrapped around the flywheel and, and go out and, and fish for whiting and flathead. And so that, that's something that we've been doing for years and years as well. Um, love me saltwater fishing, so that, that's great. Um, but also, uh, apart from, uh, from the hunting side of things, I do a lot of competition shooting with shotguns. Um, I've been a member of the field and game since I was about 12 years old and got into shooting sporting clays. So I love doing sporting clays. That, that's a really great activity. And you meet so many wonderful people in those sorts of clubs. Um, the club environment's great for getting around and, and uh, fraternising with people and, and um, you know, just, just making friends and, and socialising. The, the social aspect's amazing with club shooting. Um, so I really got into that. Uh, so <clears throat> did that for, for years and years and years and, and still do it when I can. Time time constraints get on top of you when you've got so many hobbies and uh, it gets hard to get out, out as much as you like, but you, you do your best. Uh, in, in more recent years, I've actually started collecting. Uh, so I have a bit of a passion for, for old antique guns and uh, and especially it, it's basically stems from watching Western movies. I, I bought my first 73 Winchester a few years ago and uh, absolutely loves it. So More just shotguns or rifles as well, or lever actions? What do you uh, with, with collecting, I'm uh, more so shot, uh, lever action rifles. Um, yeah, yeah, so 73 model Winchester was the first one I started with um, in a 4440, and it's an original one. It was built in 1881, I think. Um, so since then, I've, I've bought several more. That's a little bit of an addiction, but it's a very costly one, and um, yeah, I save my pennies up. Uh, quite often just to put into another collector item. So I've got a few of them, and, and now I'm actually getting into the pistol side of things. Again, stemmed from the, the Western theme and watching cowboy movies, I've taken up Western action shooting, which is which is uh, something really different. People, well, Some people don't actually know what it is uh, yet. It's, it's a growing sport, um, but it is so much fun. You get out there and you dress up like a cowboy and, and um, yeah, go for it. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Do you have dull, blunt or badly sharpened knives that couldn't skin a cat? At Scary Sharp, we use a multi-step grinding system and will hand sharpen your blades to a precise edge. Our process of sharpening knives will have your blades splitting hairs for a surprisingly low cost. Not only do we sharpen knives, but we also sharpen scissors, clippers, garden tools, arrowheads, axes, or anything that holds an edge. We are located close to Canberra, and we also have a mail-in service. Visit Scary Sharp on Facebook or call Bob on 0410 432 852 and find out how we can meet your sharpening needs. 
Scary Sharp. If it cuts, we can sharpen it. Spiker are Australia's largest brand of gun safes, shooting accessories and hunting gear and are owned and operated here in Australia. Spiker gear is now nationally recognised as the number one choice for all Australian hunters and shooters. Head to your local gun shop and check out Spiker's quality gun safes and equipment. Visit spiker.com.au and get outside. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and hobbies gun cleaning products. Visit redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or call Greg on 0415 495 712. Red Fox Outdoor Supplies, the only real choice for Bushnell hunting equipment. Nice, mate. We'd probably get on pretty well, I think, Daniel. We're very similar. I love me. Unfortunately, I live in New South Wales and I get to only hunt on the rice fields, you know, a couple of weeks out of the year to hunt um, ducks. But I yeah. love I love my bird hunting. I mean, I shoot quite quite regularly too. I'll be every three weeks, two to three weeks, the sporting clays as well. So we might have to go toe-to-toe one day, Daniel, see who comes out on top, eh? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Mate, what, I always ask my friends this situation because they like hunting ducks too. What's your favourite duck species to hunt of all time? What do you, what do you, which one in particular? My friend likes um, you know, black duck. You know, it depends on which state you're in. Another one likes pinky. The other one likes mountain yep. duck. What's your, what's your favourite? Yeah, look, I suppose most people get that uh, passion for one species through, through not having shot one. Um, I remember when I was younger, I'd, I'd shot just about everything except a blue wing shoveler and a hardhead. Um, so I chased hardheads for a long, long time, and, and I love shooting them. Um, was fortunate enough a few years ago, and you might remember on the rice, we had a, a brilliant season where 90% of the birds were hardheads, and um, I, I just absolutely love that. That was that was ecstasy for me. Um, so I don't <laughs> mind shooting them. Uh, I have to say though, to this day, I've never actually shot a blue wing shovel, um, and it's, it really annoys me because I've been shooting ducks since I was 12 years old, and uh, I've shot thousands and thousands and thousands of them, and we do a lot of rice shooting as well. Um, I have never actually had a shootable blue wing shoveler fly past me, mm. um, which is probably just coincidental of being never in the in the spots where they're around. Um, but yeah, it's something that uh, I, I probably have to say. Uh, my favourite target species from now on, and it has been for a little while, is the blue wing shoveler. I'm mm. going to have to ha- start chasing them a bit harder. Yeah, I do know there's a couple of guys that I think on Facebook, I saw one of them just taxidermied one, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, look, 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 fantastic looking bird. I think one time on the rice too, I there was a, a place at a rice field. There was a oh, two to three, I think two to three hundred hardheads, but <laughs> I never ended up getting one. So, right. um, <laughs> a lot of wood ducks. Um, I, I'm, I'm finding a little bit, especially the places I hunt on, a lot of wood ducks, um, grey teal. Um, I mean, even this year, uh, there was a, a lot more blacks than there was. It, depends, it all depends on which uh, property you hunt on. But a lot of grey teal, uh, woodies and blackies, they're the ones I'm normally seeing on the rice field. So certainly a good uh, you know, quarry of species to shoot. So, Yeah, well, the, the, last, um, the last opening I shot at uh, Murphy's, which was an interesting one for me, being a, a new politician in the Shooters and Fishers Party and having the Greens all rock up with their with their big van and, and heap of idiots in, <laughs> yeah. in fluoro vest. But, but I shot Murphy's and, and was quite successful. I bagged out in about five minutes on the first day. Um, oh, yeah. And they were all they were all pinkies. 
So that, that was an interesting day too. Yeah. My mate loves the pink ear. You're like, yeah, he just loves That's his favourite. I said, why the pink yep. ear? I said, he goes, oh, it's just nice. You know, and I said, ah, it's more, more, you know, I, I always give him a bit of grief over it. You know what I mean? So not many people say yeah. the pink ear, but he loves them for some reason. I'm not sure why. Oh, they, are, they, are, they are a beautiful looking bird. They're very unique too. Yeah, they do. Mate, what do you enjoy about the outdoors and shooting sports and, and just hunting in particular? What, what sort of keeps you coming back, you know, week after week? Oh, look, I think it's just getting outside and doing, like, like I said before, with my work. I love working with my hands. I love being physical. So it's a part of that's just being out, out and active and being physical. And, and um, I, I sort of drive myself with sports and, and having a sport like that where there's a lot of hand-eye coordination, there's a lot of ways you can improve, that you can, you can always build on your skills and your abilities. So that's something that's appealing to me. Um, so, so as far as actually participating in those sports, I, I love that side of it. Uh, probably the most, the, the biggest draw to get me out, you know, all the time and, and keep going back is the time I spend with friends and family. Um, that that really is the key to it all. Uh, the, the, we go through our work that week, and, and uh, at the end of the week, you're sick of it, and you just want to get away and, and spend a bit of time with the people who you you enjoy being being around. And and um, you know, if you've got a common activity like like shooting or camping or fishing or anything like that. Um, it just makes it really enjoyable and, and a lot of my best memories um, from my younger days and, and I'm still creating those memories of, with my family out, out hunting. Um, so it, it's just great being with them and being around other people who are like-minded. What about if you have more kids, Daniel? Obviously you've got you know, uh, a daughter now, so what are you going to do You know, when you... Yeah, hopefully maybe have a son and you can get him into it as well or get your daughter into it as well? Yep, yep. <clears throat> oh, look, it wouldn't worry me if, if uh, little Sophie <laughs> wants to get into it. That will not phase me in the slightest. I'd love for her to take it up. Um, so if she wants to, then, then uh, more than happy to. Uh, we are actually talking about more kids, so that is on the card. Um, but, yeah, uh, again, I just love being out as a kid with my dad and, and my grandfather and, and uh, all my uncles and, and uh, being a kid in that environment, it's just great. So to, to be able to pass that on to my kids and and um, and allow them to grow up with the same opportunities that I have, um, it, that's really important. And also for for us, it, it is it is like a culture. Um, that, that that is our culture. We we partake in those those hunting activities and and shooting activities, and and it's it's our way of life. So to be able to pass that down to the next generation is something um, that'll be great to see happen. You're right, mate. Let's talk about now what prompted you to sort of get into politics and in particular the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party. Yeah, so I had no intention of getting into politics, absolutely none. Um, I I went to a gun auction uh, in October last year. So I remember it well because it was my birthday. Very dangerous having a gun auction on your birthday. You kind of (laughs) inclined to buy yourself presents. Come back with no money. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But I I was there and and, uh, this is very, very close to the election. That You might know the election was on the 29th of November. So I was there and, and just voicing my opinion to another guy I know. I'm, I'm a pretty loud, obnoxious, opinionated person, most would say. Um, and I was having a bit of a rant and rave about something, and he said, you want to go and see that bloke out the front there? And I said, why? He goes, well, he's starting, starting up the Victorian branch of the Shooters and Fishers Party. And I thought, oh, yeah, that, that's something different. So I went out and had a chat with him. And he told me what they were doing. The party wasn't even registered at that stage. They, they were still very, very new. Um, and Jeff had been working for a, a while to get the registration going and, and boost membership so we could do so. So that's what he was there at the auction to do, was to try and sign people up and, and get memberships. 
anyway, I had a chat with him and, and he told me what they were all about and what they were trying to achieve. And I thought, this is great. This this is something that, that could be a real goer. And, and I really wanted to, to be involved. So I went along to the next meeting on his invitation, um, went along to the meeting after that. And then, yeah, six weeks later, it was very, very quick. We were running an election and they decided to put me up as a candidate. Um, so it's not something I sought out. It was just sort of being in the right place at the right time. Uh, we went to the election having, uh, well, Jeff had a reasonable chance of getting in, and uh, the, but the, it wasn't really a good chance for me to get up. The, the way the polls were going and the predictions were, um, I was going to struggle. So being being a bit of an, op- an optimist, I, I spent the whole time saying, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And Jeff sort of picked up what I was like very early and started trying to bring me back down to earth, saying, look, the reality is you're not going to get in, so just calm down. And uh, we were sitting there on election night and having a few drinks and watching the numbers roll in, and, and it got very exciting when I started getting up. Um, we got a really, really good primary vote in my, my electorate, uh, which we didn't expect, um, and it was fantastic to see. It just goes to show that there's a lot of people out there who are screaming for a, a party like this um, and, and have been obviously waiting for it. And when, when the opportunity came to vote for us in the state election, they took it. So ended up getting elected which was a, a really sort of odd thing for me. I had to leave my job, which I'd, I had done that already. Um, I, I left my job and put four weeks or so into the election campaign, which was a very, very big decision I had to make. Uh, the fiancé and I sat down and had a bit of a talk, and at this stage she was eight and a half months pregnant. <laughs> and so I'm sure it, she's it, happy now. There was a, probably a significant pay increase being in Parliament. So, <laughs> Well, it, it, it's actually not that much more. Um, it, it's not as much as most people think. But it's good. It's good, consistent pay. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah. Um, but we had to have a serious chat, and I'm sitting there saying to her, while well, she's got her stomach, you know, pushing her away from the table, um, that I'm going to leave my job and run for politi- for parliament. And she just looked at me in shock. It's like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> it's a pretty hard sell. But at the same time, we were supposed to be building a house. We, we got a block of land. We we're supposed to be building a house. But an eight and a half months pregnant fiance, and I decided to ditch it all to do this. Um, wow! Big call. It was. It was. A, it was a big call. Um, I would have been going into Christmas with a brand new baby and no job had I been not successful. So it was quite a serious conversation. But it's something that I sort of thought about it really hard and and thought if in 10 years' time I look back on this and I say no to it, uh, I'm going to be really disappointed in myself and I didn't want that to happen. So I I took took the opportunity while it was there. Um, Ended up getting in and and the last 12 months has just been an absolute whirlwind. Um, very, very steep learning curve, having having no uh, previous experience in this sort of thing. We've had to pick it all up as we go, um, which has been really hard. Uh, but we're, we're you know, a small team of really dedicated people, so we're, we're doing absolutely everything we can to try and make the best of the opportunity while we've got it. Mm, very good, mate. Uh, what are you hoping to achieve well, in, in Parliament, I guess, say, over the next, say, two to three years? What are you, what are you hoping to achieve in Parliament during your tenure? Well, hopefully we can we can abolish all the bullshit rules we have to put up with for a start, but the uh, chances of that happening aren't real great, um, given the current situation of of, of um, gun laws and, and the, the topical sort of um, theme around them, being that guns are bad. But, you know, th- there's other things that we, we want really, really want to achieve and have a good chance of, and most of that's just about familiarisation of, of members in there um, with what we do. Uh, again, there's so many people who are in... in um, Parliament, as in other members from the major parties that just have no idea. They've got not a clue what we do, um, and there's a real disconnect 
between them and the general public. And that doesn't go just for, for shooting stuff. Um, that goes for things in general. Um, you do get trapped in the political life. Uh, it's its own little world, and, and I found that. You, you, once you get really deep involved into it, uh, it's its own little world, and you start to lose connect with the, the people in the real world. Um, so that, that's obviously something that is, goes down to the reason why we're here is because people were, were really not happy with the way they were being looked after by the major parties, um, yeah. especially shooters. Uh, we, we've, as, as you would well know, and most of your listeners would know, we've been persecuted for a long, long time for, for stuff that we haven't done. And it gets to the stage where you say, well, hang on, they're not listening to us, enough's enough. Um, you start flowing your votes down to parties like us. Um, so what, what we want to actually achieve is, is basically um, getting the message across to the major parties that we are not a small number of people. There, there's a lot of us around, and we are sick to death of being treated like crap, yeah. and, and you've got you to wake up and pay attention to it. Um, so you know, that, that message, getting that across, is really, really important, and it, it's, um, it, being in there and having two members is the, is the best way of doing it. As a lobby group, you can only do so much. Um, lobby do, groups do a great job of, of getting um, getting things out of the government, but being on the inside is a different thing altogether. Um, if a minister doesn't want to talk to a lobby group, they just ignore them. Whereas if a minister doesn't want to talk to me, he might fold me off the first time, but then I'll just go wait outside his office door and, and bail him up. So, <laughs> um, Sounds good. Yeah, it, it, it's a great opportunity. Mate, what if you were going through, say, your top, you know, two or three agenda items you and Jeff have sort of spoken about? What what sort of things do you want to see? Like, what what do you say, top two or three that you'd push for, or that you think are either reasonable or, or what you think are achievable? We'll start with that yep, first. Look, I, I sort of split those up into in the two camps. Um, there's obviously the stuff that we want to change with gun laws, uh, which are a bigger ask, being being governed by the NFA, the National Firearms Agreement. Um, there's a lot that has to happen to, to get those changes. So I'll park them for a second. One of the, well, one of the real bugbears of mine is Lake McCohen, which is now known as the Winton Wetlands. Um, that's somewhere that's I've only shot a couple of times because of the history of it, but it's really, really an important place for, for duck shooters across Victoria, um, and especially my family. My old man shot it for 15, 18 years straight when he was younger um, on the openings. So that was a really, really important place. And, and its recent history has basically locked us out. Um, it shut us down, and, and I don't think it's good enough. Uh, all, all to satisfy a few greenies that have got this thing going there with, where you're only allowed to do greenie-approved activities. Um, so I, I want to see that fixed up. I want to see that given back to shooters. Uh, we don't want exclusive use of it. Uh, obviously, we're not like, like the Antis, where they, they argue that they want it exclusively 12 months of the year. Um, in reality, the duck season's only three months of the year, and, and if we were allowed to go on there and shoot it, we wouldn't give a rat's what they do with it the, the other nine months of the year. Um, but Winton Wetlands is something that's, that's very important. It's definitely on my agenda, and I'm pursuing pretty hard. Um, <clears throat> the Great Forest National Park is a really, really big issue that's going to be pretty important over the next few years. Uh, we've already started work on it furiously because the way the proposal is going at the moment is just not going to work. Uh, we all know what the problems are with national parks. The existing national parks haven't got enough funding or resources to manage them properly. So I don't know how they're going to go with another one that's a third the size of the state of Victoria. Uh, it really doesn't make sense. But the implications of a, a national park on the activities that we do, and that's not just shooting. Again, that, that goes to forward driving, fishing, 
um, camping. Uh, we've got a, a large group of people come to us who, who do fossicking and gold mining, um, and and they have they face the same lockout problems that we do. So this Great Forest National Park proposal is just I, I think ridiculous, um, and it obviously has been driven by by a green agenda again, um, with the sole purpose of getting rid of the uh, forestry industry for a start, and then and then us secondly. So I'd like to see a bit more of a uh, in-depth thought about how the, that's actually going to happen. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I, I am a fan of national parks. I, I don't mind the idea that we have places that are preserved and looked after and, and are called a national park, and that's great. Um, but not not in their current form. I, I'd say the uh, dynamics of how a national park works has to drastically change before I'll accept any more um, because they, they basically lock you out from using it. And there's no point having these beautiful, pristine areas if we can't use them. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, sorry, go on. You're right. Yeah, well, and, and then the other one, we, we have a, uh, a game management authority in Victoria now, which is a relatively new thing. They've only been around for 12 months or so, um, or maybe a little bit longer. Uh, so they've been taken away as a statutory authority outside of parks. They're their own authority. Um, and they are only really just finding their feet, and, and uh, they're just doing... Um, management stuff as far as enforcing um, enforcing laws and things like that. So I would really like to see the Game Management Authority take on a more active role in game management activities. Um, it's something that uh, we've seen examples of, uh, like the Heart Morass that, that the Wet Trust have done in conjunction with the Field and Game. That, that is an, a perfect example of how hunters and, and shooters can come together and put something back into conservation and, and turn several thousand hectares of wasted farmland into a beautiful wetland. And, and that's all through hard work of volunteers and, and, and money that's been donated. So I would like to see the GMA take on more of that kind of a role in, in other areas and other state game um, reserves uh, in, in actually improving them and, and making them better, making them the envy of the world as far as conservation, but also do it in such a way that, that uh, shooters are welcome. You know, you, you can manage a, a an area like that um, from a purely environmental conservationist point of view, or you can manage that area doing that as well as making it um, friendly to, to shooters and, and so we can access it and use it and get the most out of it. We're just going to go to a quick break here on AHP Digital and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original OzGuns. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. 
Mate, excellent. Mate, people voted for, I guess you at the at the last election. They put their vote in Daniel because he's gonna you're gonna step up for the people that voted for him, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, what can people expect from you, just in general, say over the next couple of years? What can they expect in Parliament? Can they expect good representation? Just give us a bit of a rundown. Yeah, look, one of the things that we pride ourselves on in Parliament is is our integrity. Um, we have a, a very strict sort of rule on ourselves that if we say one thing, we stick by it no matter what. If we give our word to something, we will absolutely follow it to a T. Um, and that, I think, is really important, and, and it's something that not a lot of other politicians could say that they do. Um, a lot of them sell out on things, um, but we simply won't. And, and that, that in itself, as a, as a simple sort of philosophy to, to do what we do by, um, is going to be crucial to us having any success um but basically what we do is represent the people um from rural areas not just in shooting and and, um and hunting and fishing activities but rural people in general um i I think rural victoria is underrepresented uh uh, really really poorly um there's not enough uh, people in there representing people who have the same problems that we do and everything in politics becomes really city-centric and that's, I suppose, the nature of it, being in the city. Um, the, the, and a lot more people will live in the city. I found out just recently that 75% of the population of Victoria actually lives in Melbourne, uh, which I thought was incredible. There's only one, if, one in four people in Victoria live in rural areas. So, um, you know, just making sure that the, the rural people are heard, that they're, they're being listened to and that their problems are being followed up on is something that we're there to do and, and we will continue to push for. Excellent, mate. Mate, how's it been working with uh, Jeff Borman? Um, did you know each other prior to the election, and how's it been going with Jeff? Seems like a nice fellow. Yeah, no, he's a great bloke. Um, we didn't know each other. Uh, like I said before, I met him at the uh, gun auction that I was at, and that was the first time I met him. It was in October last year. So really, really quick period where I got to know him before the election. Um, it was only six weeks or so. Uh, but he, he's fantastic to work with. He's a great bloke. He uh, enjoys all the same things that I enjoy, and... and the same things that, that everyone else enjoys, um, and that, that's why he's there representing him, I suppose. Um, we get along really, really well. And that, that's, I suppose, one of the advantages of having a small party as well. Uh, we've got two members. We don't have you know, 15, 30, 40 people that we have to to um, talk to and, and get all on the same page. If we have, have an issue, Jeff and I can just have a five-minute chat about it and resolve it. So that's really, really advantageous for us. Um, and the fact that we're very similar... Um, in our thinking and, and um, we're very like-minded makes that even even the more easier because half the time we don't even have to have a conversation just we're on the same page anyway and, it, and it's just great um, so I'm really I'm really enjoying working with Jeff and we can for some time excellent mate um, next question this is going to be a very very interesting one because we were going through it just a little bit earlier let's talk about the gun laws <laughs> hopefully mm-hmm. we uh, uh, agree on some things here which is uh, yep. we'll find out what's your thoughts on the current situation I guess you know from 1996 before I guess up until now I'm not sure how old you are Daniel but I'm 34 so I sort of wasn't in mm-hmm. you know the shooting sports sort of growing up my parents weren't really into it I sort of got into it when I was 18 um, yeah, what's your current thoughts, mate? Um, yeah, that's, that's why I separated uh, gun laws from other things that we want to achieve because they're, they're different. They have their own sort of process and, and they're going to be a harder ask. Um, yeah, I was only eight years old in 96. I was born in 88. So I'm of that generation that doesn't really understand uh, what happened at the time. 
Um, and I think that's becoming more and more the case with people getting involved in these sports. Is that people are um, less familiar with the Port Arthur situation and um, are more into just, just participating in the sport. So what happened back then was the biggest overreaction that uh, I, I know of. It was absolutely ridiculous that, that uh, a government can go out and just do that and, and basically vilify and call every single gun owner in the country a criminal. Um, it's disgusting, and, and I dare say if I was in this position back then, I wouldn't have stood for it. I, I would have been arguing furiously for it. Um, now, it, it's it, like I said, it's a different situation. It's always evolving, and now we have sort of this other thing creeping in with terrorism and, and fear of that on a global scale, and, and America has shootings all the time which, which reflect on us, and they're looking to us as a pinnacle example of gun laws so all these different factors coming into what we do makes it very difficult to actually get anywhere. And we all know what the antis are like. They, they will lie and scream and carry on um, to make their point, um, regardless of whether they're right. They, they will do whatever they can to, to keep the fear-mongering going and, and keep us down. Um, so it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle tackling gun laws. But uh, I think there's a lot of common-sense things that could be achieved uh, without overhauling the whole lot. There's a lot of little things that just need to be looked at um, take a step back, have a think about whether this is actually doing what it's supposed to do, i.e. stopping criminals and, and illegal things happening with guns. And if it's not, let's get rid of it. So uh, there's a lot of things, especially I've just recently got into pistol shooting, um, especially with laws around pistols. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, attendances and things like that are, are far too onerous on, on pistol shooters. Uh, going through the process and having to do NORIs, so notice of intention to receive, so notice of receiving instruction, um, are just a ridiculous piece of paper that, in my opinion, do nothing. Um, take a step back from pistols. Uh, I would really love to see permanent purchases scrapped. Um, they're probably the biggest waste of time I can I can think of, and why we have to pay ten dollars every time to ask permission to, uh, to to buy a gun when we've got a license that says we're allowed to do so. Uh, is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, you go and buy a car. You don't have to write to the government and ask permission to buy a car. It's a pre it's a pretty crappy way of doing it. Um, so they they've got to go, and it's little things like that. Now we are making headway. Uh, we we get along really really well with the police minister, um, and we, we're quite comfortable with sitting down with him and going through some of those issues. Uh, something that just came out the other day on the first of December is electronic payments for your shooters' licences. So. Now, in, in, in Victoria, you have to go to a Westpac bank to pay any licence, um, which is it, it's pretty silly. Uh, in this day and age, we can have electronic payments very, very easily. Um, and, and short of that, you should be able to go to any bank or a post office and do it like any other bill. Um, so that's something that we took to him early, and, and he has actually put that in. So now you'll be able to pay your licences and things uh, electronically through BPAY. Uh, information on the back of the form. You just go bang, and it's done within a couple of seconds. Uh, so the next thing is permit to purchases. They'll be the same. Uh, we want them on the, the electronic payment system as well as having an electronic um, sort of online way of actually applying for them, uh, much like your gun shops can. Uh, so that you, we all know how quick it is. You go to a gun shop and they put in a permit and you get it back within a couple of hours. It's different to sending in a paper one as a uh, person in the general general public and waiting five or six days for it to come back. Um, the whole time you're itching to go and get your gun, um, so we're, we're, we're working with uh, the police minister on getting that rolled out and, and uh, hopefully soon you'll be able to pay your permit online uh, as well as apply for it and get it done really quickly. 
Um, so they're sort of the immediate things that we're trying to get done. Obviously, there's bigger things that we want changed. Um, I'd love to, to change, have a bit of a play with the classification system. Um, I'd love to see it scrapped altogether, ultimately. But as far as the reality of getting things done, a, a few tweaks here and there could, could make a real big difference. Um, a little bit more, uh, a little bit easier regulations on getting Category C would be great. Um, bringing back semi-auto shotguns and 22s is just something that has to happen. Um, that was probably the biggest part of the overreaction in '96 was was taking them away. Um, a, a semi-auto 22 is probably something that most shooters from the time miss the most. Um, and, and the amount of people will say, "Oh, you know, I, I just want my little FN takedown 22 Browning back." Um, it, it, I, I couldn't count how many people have said that to me. Um, so those sorts of things really, really need to happen, and, and they're the kind of things that we advocate for and push for all the time. Yeah, exactly. And what about how do how do us we need to work together? Before we go into that question, actually, we'll talk about what about you would talk about registration before. How do you feel about registration? What's your thoughts on that uh, in well, general? Look, re- registration is is the biggest waste of time. Um, again, you bring in new laws, and people who are law abiding by nature follow them because that's what they do. They're good people. Uh, when you bring in new laws, people who are criminals generally don't follow the law. So any new law isn't going to be one that they're going to wake up and pay attention to. So, you know, re- registration, all it's doing is keeping track of the people who do the right thing anyway. You know, they're, they're good people by, by their very nature. Um, I consider shooters to be probably the most trustworthy people in society in Australia because we have to be. Um, it's, it's a requirement. Um, so, you know, if I look at some, if I meet someone and they say they're a shooter, immediately I recognise them as a good and proper person because I know they've been vetted by the police. Um, they have an awareness of what the law is um, and they have a tendency to follow it. That's why they've still got a shooter's license. Um, so, you know, things like registration, all they do is keep track of those, those good law-abiding people. Um, they don't do anything for illegal guns. They don't do anything for crime prevention. Um, so it's, it's got to go. Registration is a, is a massive waste of money. What about um, the poor are, people in, um, you know, it's Western Australia have got to pay you know, hugely exuberant fees, you know, up yeah. to a couple of hundred dollars per firearm just to even the privilege to own that. Well, so I'm not going to say the privilege to own the firearm because I think it's not. I think it's a right. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, yeah, or the, what the government perceives as their privilege to tell us, you know, you're going to pay $200 to acquire another firearm. I mean, they've got, you know, these safety certificates and all this other stuff. I mean, it's just outrageous. Yeah, it is. It's garbage. I believe Western Australia is still on a paper system for their registry, so that, that's why the cost is so high. Um, and again, in this day and age, that, that is just rubbish. Um, I have to say, Victoria probably has the best system as far as its implementation. Um, it, it, it's got its own problems and flaws, but uh, registration in general, it, it's a $10.5 million hole uh, as far as figures the government's given us. Um, that the money could be spent on other things, uh, and it's, at the moment it's being spent on something that does nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting they say, you know, we can't have, you know, and I, I, I just get sick of hearing it, especially with, like, you know, the shootings just over the weekend in the States. Um, yeah, people saying, well, you know, Australia hasn't had a mass shooting since, you know, 1996, or obviously the Lockhart, you know, murders, mm-hmm. domestic suicides, whatever what you would call them down in Wagga Wagga. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New Zealand hasn't had a mass shooting since 1997 either. They've got an array of firearms, you know, semi-automatic shotguns, pump shotguns, semi-automatic rifles. Um, there's there's no issue whatsoever. So, uh, I mean, are Australians less uh, less trustworthy than our Kiwi compatriots, Daniel? 
Well, the, the actions of the government would suggest so. Um, I, I find it difficult comparing us to the states. Uh, I think what's happening over there is a result of their culture more than anything else. Um, we are very, very different here, and I, I suppose I, I like that we're different in that way. The, the, as a member of parliament, I can walk down the street in Melbourne and, and not have a fear of anything. Um, we've, we've got a, a pretty good society like that. So I, I struggle comparing us to the states, and then especially when you start talking about their laws and their, their, their constitutional rights and things like that. We don't have those here, so even the way we approach it is very different here. Um, but very very easy to compare us to New Zealand, um, and, and that's, it's great that people are, are recognising that because the, the laws in New Zealand, as far as guns, I really wish I could just copy and paste them over here. That would be great. That would make my job a lot easier, um, and I, I could leave this happy knowing that that's been done. Um, I think they've got a fantastic system over there and we can really take a lot from them. And not just in gun laws, just the way they do things in, in general as far as um, hunting and fishing. Um, they, they promote it. They, they, the hunting tourism is fantastic. It, it, is, it is more accepted over there because they put it out as a part of their culture. I was just watching the other day uh, an ad for the new Toyota Hilux. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> the, the, Ki- the Kiwis have got this ad out and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, I recommend anyone to just YouTube it and have a look at their ad. Um, apart from the fact that I've got the, the Hilux on my shopping list for Christmas, I love a new one, um, <laughs> that, that ad is just fantastic. And to see something like that in Australia, um, people would be shocked. People would carry on and bitch and moan about it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. it. It's great to see. Mate, you're 100% right. I just wish that people would see that, but no one ever wants to, you know, mention New Zealand. I mean, you can you imagine that Hilux ad running over here where they've got little talking dead ducks or whatever after they've been yep, shot yep. with a, I think it was a tar on the roof, I think it was, um, you know, mm-hmm. a deer on the bonnet. I mean, can you imagine doing that here? There'd be absolute outrage, wouldn't there? Yeah, they would. People would carry on. And, and again, I think that goes back to the disconnect between city and regional because it is all your city do-gooders that, that carry on about that sort of stuff and they have no idea, absolutely not a clue. Um, I hardly listen to them these days because they're not worth um, giving them time. It's interesting too, I notice. Have you noticed that too? I mean, even though Sydney obviously being one of the largest cities in Australia, um, you've especially Victoria I don't, or Melbourne more so, they've got a very, very how would you put this exactly like a very like a lot of animal liberation i mean they're very big down in victoria uh, a lot of animal rights i mean i just saw something the other day with some climate change thing with also pushing veganism again and i'm like oh, just leave people alone for goodness sake but you know it seems very very prominent down in victoria why do you think that is compared to other states around australia yeah i, I don't i don't know how i could put it down to anything particular in victoria compared to other states um i haven't spent a lot of time studying the way other states work um, so I, I don't really know, but it certainly is a growing theme in Victoria, and, and it's really, really annoying. Um, you, ha- you have that element of, of people starting to creep out, and the difference between them and us is that we are happy for them to do what they what they do and what they like. Um, they can they can stay in the city and you know ride their push bike down the street in their liker and drink their latte. That, that's fine. Um, I'm not going to tell them they can't. And, and that's the fundamental difference between us and them, is that they spend their entire life trying to tell us that we can't do what we do. Um, so interesting. We, so we, ironic, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and they're the same people that preach equality and acceptance. Um, and, and it really gets under my skin that, that it is the same people. But, but that's, that's just who we are. We, we, we do generally accept people for who they are. And, and you know, if you want to um, do that, that that's, that's your prerogative to do it. Um, 
but leave us alone. And and I suppose that's something that that is growing now, especially in the city, is that that theme that they can dictate to us what we what we can and can't do. And, and I'm sick of it, and that's why I'm here doing this job because I'll fight that tooth and nail. It's funny how they don't want us to do certain things, yet would happily, you know, via government enforcing us to, to remove shooting or shooting activities. They'd be all for it, yet they're the first ones wanting people to respect their rights. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's almost and ridiculous, it, it really, isn't it? it really, yeah, it's, a, it's pretty backwards thinking in my, in my opinion. Yeah, and I remember last year, I think it was last year, the, it was quite funny, I think Robert Borzak and um, Steve Lee, and Steve Lee went with the lady from the Animal Liberation Victoria, and they went duck hunting, and, um, you know, he did... <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing about that. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a good episode, that. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, especially, mate, the part when, especially the part when um, when she asked him what he, what he felt when he was standing there looking out over the over the um, lake and he said I feel like I'm duck shooting yeah so. <laughs> something like that she goes, he goes, what she goes oh this is what do you think about this duck and he goes oh, it's dead and she went yeah, yeah but, but what do you and he goes what do you mean nothing what do you, I don't feel anything it's, it's a dead duck what do, what do you want me to say and <laughs> I was like oh it's just Steve did it Steve and Rob did a great job on that so I thought it was um, absolutely fantastic mate what are your constituents just before we finish a couple more questions before we yeah, finish yeah. off uh, what are your like what concerns obviously you've been in parliament how long now since probably what just about a year would it be uh yeah we're, we're just on the one year mark um a, a lot of our constituents uh, what are they are raising that's my question sorry what are they raising what are they raising with you yeah so so we, we get um, several issues come up and and stuff that's going through so we, usually it's pretty topical um as far as the fishing side of things we had a lot of people talking to us for a long time about removing the commercial fishers from the bay so that's something that actually has happened now we, we saw legislation go through a week or so ago which is great um what, probably one of the really concerning ones that we're getting from constituents is uh, having problems with compliance with gun laws. Um, people are getting picked up for stuff and, and they don't understand why they've been picked up for it. They think they're within the rules and they're doing the right thing, yet they're still getting booked. Um, and so they, they, you know, they look for someone to go to for some advice. So they come to us. So we're getting a lot of that, especially around the insecure storage of ammunition. Um, it's a real problem. So people complaining complain to us all the time about um, the, the, not only the laws, but the information available to comply. Because there's not enough clear information out there to, to enable you to comply with the law in the eyes of every cop. And they all interpret it differently. And it doesn't matter what you do, there will be a copper out there somewhere who will interpret the act in a certain way and will book you um, based on their interpretation, regardless of what regulations you're following to comply with it. Um, so that, that's a real problem for shooters because we are essentially guilty until we prove our innocence. Um, doesn't matter if we're right or wrong, uh, the first thing happens to us is we have our licence and our guns taken off us. Um, and and that, that's a real issue because it forces us into a corner, uh, it forces us into a position where we have to sort of plead some sort of guilt in order to take the lighter slap on the wrist rather than force the issue because we risk losing a lot. We, we risk using our, our guns and our licences and, um, and, and, and the ability to partake in the activities we do. Um, so that, that's something that's a real serious issue that, that we get quite a bit um, and it's something we're trying to work on is how we can get the government and the police to put out some, some clearer information on how we can actually comply. Uh, and, it, and it's proving to be a real struggle for them. Uh, we got a letter back just the other day in black and white that, that set out some, some guidelines 
And at the end of the letter, it said, even if you do comply with all these things, you may still be um, charged for it. See, when, now, when are the police, uh, Daniel, going to... And I actually had this conversation... I sent an email to a police minister in New South Wales, Troy Grant, who just probably saw the video with him and Michael Keenan. Michael Keenan's yep. a different story, but... Yep. You know, he Troy, did a great job in that interview, by the way. Exactly. And, and then I actually emailed him and said, great job, you know, this is going to go a long way. Because I think there's, as much as people refuse to believe it, I think there's a very, very fractured relationship between shooters and the police. And I thought the police and shooters should be actually working together uh, to try and get crime off the street, get these illegal firearms off the streets. And yep. you know, police should be seeing shooters and vice versa with the police as allies. But I've got to admit, too, I don't really like police, for which I don't know who they are. I don't know these people from a bar of soap. They might be police officers. doesn't mean they're, you know, most of them are legitimate, but not all of them are. I don't know that tomorrow one of them is not down at the pub saying, oh, you know, that guy's got a Remington or that guy's got a pump action or he's got a semi-auto or he's got about five or six different pistols. And then next day, you know, I'm getting robbed. There was just an article just two, three days ago where um, people... Police were going to the to the houses of people uh, and then you know talking back to base on their CB radios and giving those addresses. Uh, a couple of days yeah. later, those people were robbed, mm, um, yeah. and that's happening quite regularly. So again, a system like registration as well that is supposed to um, stop these things from happening because you know apparently according to the government and police registrations fantastic. You know this is actually creating this more more of a headache for police because you know. Everywhere I look, Daniel, I'm giving data out. I'm giving data to the gun range in New South Wales now. I've yep. got to give data to the um, my local gun shop, Horsley Park, or Safari Firearms, or I've got to, you know, every, everywhere I'm giving more and more data. I mean, I think the only good data is no data at all because then they wouldn't know where those firearms are to be stolen constantly. And it seems police are making the, the silly move of talking on radios when they're being, you know, tracked on a police tracker CB radio by you know, the general public. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're right. There's a real disconnect between um, the police and, and gun owners. Um, I suppose police uh, officers may have a bit of a skewed um, opinion of us because they go through their training and, and they are taught to deal with the wrong end of a firearm. Um, so that, that, in a sense, warps their opinion. Um, but I, I think shooters have got to start doing a lot of work to engage with with uh, police and, and Victoria. I speak about Victoria Police because that's who we engage with. Um, they can do a lot more. We have a few good organisations um, like the Firearms Consultative Committee and the uh, Firearms Safety Foundation down here, the Firearms Users Group, um, and they, they do a good job of connecting with, with uh, members of, of uh, Parliament and, and as well as the police. But there's more that the, just the people in, in the public can do. Um, it would be great to see some coppers come out to some ranges and, and have a go and be involved in what we do. You know, police do it. Shooting game runs a poly shoot once a year. Uh, it wouldn't be a bad thing to, to get the police out there and do the same thing and, and really bring them in. And, and it goes back to the same thing of just teaching them that we are normal people, we are good people, um, and getting them familiar with what we do because that's how you alleviate all those fears and that's where we can turn around some of those opinions. Yeah, mate, I think you're right. Like, actually, I did get a reply from um, Troy Grant, who sort of, you know, gave me a sentence that, oh, thanks, Jason. I, you know, appreciate the uh, correspondence and stuff like that. So I thought it was kind of, you know, positive. But I, I wish we could just have a great working relationship, you know, with the police, where the police sort of didn't weren't treating us like criminals. I mean, it'd be great if we could, you know, just work together with police. I mean, that's what we should be doing, and you know, making sure that, you know, by working together, they're getting crime off the streets. You know, working. I mean, it really can't. It doesn't make sense why it can't work. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's not going to happen from the, from the uh, police end. 
um, they're setting their ways and they're not going to do it. So I think it's up to shooters. We we have to take the take the first step, um, take a leap of faith if you want to call it, and and bring them in and really really try hard at building that relationship yeah. um, because it will be be beneficial to all of us in the end. Yeah, true. You're right, mate. We have. Let me just get my questions up right now. We've got a, a five questions. Mm. in under a minute here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Bit of a fun segment, so I didn't send you the questions <laughs> right. before because that would be sort of half cheating. So mm-hmm. um, are you happy to take the challenge? Uh, I, I trust you not to put any real tricky ones in there. <laughs> nah, nah. All right, in three, two, one, go. All right, best thing about being in Parliament, what is it and why? Uh, best thing about being in Parliament, probably meeting different people and, and um, socialising with people who I had no idea um, about what they do. So, so that's... That sort of sharing of information is great. Well, I'm meeting some really fantastic people there. Yep. Favorite aspect of hunting? What is it, and why? Being outside. Yep. Fav- uh, I love being outdoors. Oh. Being yep. physical and active. <laughs> Sorry. Favorite species to hunt? What is it, and why? Ducks. It's just great fun. All right. If you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be, and why? I want to go to New Zealand because I haven't been there. All right. The biggest change you would like to push for in regards to gun laws? Your number one thing. What is it, and why? Immediately, no more PTAs. Perfect. All right. Ah, forty six sixty five. Ah, it's a record. No, I'm not sure if it's a record, but I'm have to change it now. Daniel, when I first started, I had five questions in under five minutes, and it was almost too long, and people were sort of taking longer than that. And then I went five questions in under a minute, and I thought, oh, people were taking two or three minutes, but now everyone's just acing those questions. So yep, yep. I'm have to change it to five questions under thirty seconds from now on. <laughs> Just get, get you thinking on your toes, eh? Yeah, exactly. Mate, I guess um, to finish off, my, my listeners, they love a good story, Daniel. Uh, maybe, you know, a story about getting into Parliament, maybe one of your, an awesome duck hunting trip where you've got a, a hard head or whatever it may be. Tell us a story. I, we need you to sell it to the listeners, you know, time of year, time of day, what you were doing at the time. We Just give us the whole gamut of the story. Yeah, look, well, there's, there's probably a million stories I could tell, and we quite often get stuck out. You get in that mode when you're out with mates around the campfire, and you just tell story after story. Most of my old man stories I've heard a million times, and uh, <laughs> yeah. there's plenty of them about falling out of boats and you know getting bogged and things like that. Um, one of my my favourite stories is probably the first quail I ever shot, um, and it's, it's not a funny story. So sorry about that, but <laughs> That's right. um, I, I was out, I was out with my grandfather. Um, or my father and my grandfather, and, and me and Grandpa, we went for a walk off on our own for a while. It was at Gaynor Swamp. Um, I was only a little kid, and he had his Beretta under and over S50, uh, sorry, a 57E it was. Um, so we, we go for a walk, and he, he goes, oh, here, you can have a shot. So I loaded it up, um, thinking this, this is fantastic. I'm out, out in the middle of this um, middle of this sort of dry swamp with, with me granddad just walking around, just loving life. And he, and he hands me the gun. I thought, this, this is great. I'm, I'm going to have a real crack at this. So we're walking along, and uh, it, was, it was real sort of tall grass. And this, this quail got up. And being a little kid, nice quick reflex, reflexes. As soon as it got up, I just went, boom. And so there's this big puff of feathers. And Grandpa looks at me, and he grabs the gun off me. And we walk over, and I shot it about 10 feet away because I was that quick on it. And so we picked up one bit of it and then walked another 10 of 15 feet and picked up another bit and it was spread over about 30 feet because um, I shot it far too quick and it was just this big explosion and uh, I remember him looking at me and he goes that's enough that's a waste of you bloody shooting because you can't eat them when you shoot them like that 
And uh, I, it's one of those things that'll never, it'll never, never leave me. I'll always remember that that day because a, it was my first quail. I was so excited. It was my first shot on a quail too. So I can say that I shot my first one. I didn't miss. Um, and and <laughs> and I was out out with out with my grandpa. So that's a that's a really really um, strong memory that I have. Um, after that though, he slapped me around a bit, and I learned to let him get out a bit before I shoot him, so we can pick him up and eat him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but yeah, that that was back in the days where Gaynor had a lot of quail on it, and, and we loved going there. So, what um, what what do you, what do you normally shoot clays with, Daniel? What sort of? I mean, two questions actually. What do you normally shoot for your your clay target, sort of sporting clay shotgun? And do you have any sub gauges? And what's your favourite shotgun? You know, look, I, I um when I started doing um clay target shooting, my old man bought me a uh, a six eight seven EL Gold Pigeon Beretta. Um, so I love that. I had that when I was 12 till about 18. I grew up a bit and it didn't fit me. Um, so I went out and bought a DT10. It was the first thing I bought when I started working. So I was an wow. apprentice um, and, and thought, stuff it. I already had my car. I had an OJ Tirana that I'd fixed up when I was about 16. Yep. Um, so didn't didn't have to worry about the cars. what most, most kids buy when they start working. Um, and I thought, stuff it. I'm going to spend 10 grand on a gun. So I, I saved me pennies and went and bought a DT10, which I still use for sporting clothes. Wow. Uh, so that's one of my favourites. Um, I have a Beretta Gold um, uh, 682 Gold, which yep. I use a little bit out in the field. I bought that. Um, it's quite an old gun, and I only bought that because my old man's got one, and he's absolutely flogged it to death, and it's it's done phenomenally well. Wow. Um, so I ended up buying one that I found in really good nick. Um, so they're they're, they're uh, my probably my two favourites. I'm I'm a big Beretta guy, um, but I've got a couple of Seikos that I use. Um, when I go deer shooting, they're, they're old ones, um, L61Rs, one in the 3006 and one in the 338 Windmag. I like the old Seikos. They're pre-detachable magazine, so um, you get people get a bit funny about them. They, oh, why, why can't you take the magazine out of it? But I love it. I, I love the old ones. They're nice walnut timber and, and beautiful blue um, barrel. That's it, um, traditional hunting rifles is what I love. Um, but then, yeah, I've, I've got me lever-action Winchesters. I... I uh, I, um, they're really, really special to me, and I've got uh, several of those, and they're great because you pick them up, and they're old, and they're knocked about, and they've got dints, and they've got character, and and you just hold them, and you think to yourself, if only this could tell me a story. Um, it, it must have hundreds of things it could tell me throughout its history. When you're holding something that's 130, 140 years old, um, it, it's really great, and I, I just love them. I love guns in general. Yeah, I know. It's hard when like someone's going in the field, and I get like the new gun, and you know, I sort of ding it up and I go, oh, it just pains me when you get that first ding or a couple of scratches and yep. I'm just like, oh, I'm a bit of a safe queen with some of my firearms, you know. And my mate always just says, he goes, ah, just chuck them in there, don't worry about it. He goes, they're, me- <laughs> they're meant to be used. And he goes, yeah, take care of them, you know what I mean? But, yep, you know, yep. mate, enjoy them, mate. Hand them down to someone. There would be, like you just said, a lot of history in regards to, you know, those firearms, you know, and... um Yep. You know, it's hard to get over, isn't it, when something, you know, sort of, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the poundage of whatever they're shooting out of a shotgun and, you know, p- burning powder and he goes, mate, just shoot it and enjoy it, mate, live your life and enjoy it. And sometimes it's hard to do that when you, you know, you've got like a 10 grand shotgun. Oh, I'd, <laughs> I'd leave it in the safe. I'd never touch it, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I've, I've got mates of the same and, and you, you tend to find those people generally have plastic stocks on their guns and uh, I can't stand plastic. I, I hate it. Um, I don't even like stainless. Um, I'm a very much traditional with, with what I like in, in guns. And I've got mates who do the same thing. They throw their guns around and, and they look at me funny when I'm real careful with them. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm very precious about my guns. And, and um, you're right, I, I do treat them like safe queens. Mate, 
any last advice uh, that you'd like to give my listeners? Anything to finish off that you'd like to say? Yeah, look, from a political aspect, don't give up. Um, we, we have a bad problem within shooting community um, with our sense of apathy. We just sit back and, and um, you know, there's people who work on it, we'll let them do it. But really, it's a collective effort. Um, if we all had a bit of a crack at it, if we all wrote a letter, get down to your local member, get in his ear, have a whinge, um, they'll start to realise that there is a hell of a lot of us around and they'll start paying attention. So to everyone out there, just, just get involved. Do what you can. Go and speak to a poly. Make sure they know who we are, what we want, and why we do what we do. Excellent. Daniel Young is a member for Parliament in Victoria for the Shooters and Fishers Party. He joins us here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Daniel, really appreciate your time on uh, recording this podcast with me today. Thanks very much. Yeah, not a problem, mate. Pleasure to be here. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.